0: This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. I'm
1: Tamahome,
2: and I'm Jenny.
0: And we're talking new releases, recent arrivals.
2: Hooray! And trust me, I've been getting plenty of recent arrivals at my house, but I've also picked up plenty of new reviewers. So you'll be seeing some new reviews on well, SFS Audio.
0: They've been coming in quite frequently. I'm pleased because I, I seem to my reviewing seems to have dwindled, but um, it's not just me doing it <laughs>
2: anymore. Yeah, <laughs> so, I think I have like eight, eight to ten new people. So I'm very happy and excited about that.
0: We're still, we're still short on uh, some departments, right?
2: I think I finally found a military sci-fi guy, and I found two or three people interested in urban fantasy and paranormal romance. So
0: wow. I think
2: we're set for a lot more than we were.
0: Good stuff. Yeah. You hit the jackpot. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: thanks, guys.
0: <laughs> so uh, on the first, first one on your list, I think you were saying it wasn't floating your boat.
2: Oh, are you looking at Oz Reimagined?
0: Mm-hmm. It's
2: not that exactly, and I, I've read more of it at this point, and probably two-thirds of the way through. My, mm-hmm. my problem is that I've never read the original Oz books. I've, right. I've only seen The Wizard of Oz, the movie, and Return to Oz, which I've always liked more. But there are a lot of characters in these stories that I'm not familiar with, and I have no idea if they come from the original series or if the authors writing the short stories have come up with them. So. Mm-hmm. I'm really missing a lot of context. I think if you were a huge fan of Oz, they'd be really great because there's all different genres. Like there's um there's a Dorothy detective, there's a Dorothy cyborg, there's, a <laughs> there's all these different kinds. There's one that takes place in um, Shanghai and everyone's Chinese and fighting in the revolution and there's one in a nursing home. I mean, it's just, it runs the gamut.
0: And the names are, uh, they're sort of high end, you know, like, looking at the, the, the names on there, they're sort of the, the high end of writers these days. You know, like, these are the people who win the awards, or they're, they're, you know, all over the internet. They're, they're people who I would say, you know, they're, they're the people I would be reading in 50 years if, if, uh, if they are still famous in 50 years. They're, they're famous names now. Right. Um, so, like, Orson Scott Card's got a, uh, story in there. And he's a, actually, he's a really good writer. So I, I don't, have you re- heard, read that one yet? No, I'm not that far yet. I'll see the emperor it's called. I, I'd be interested in hearing that because, you know, you might not agree with his politics. You know, I, I'm sort of tired of him, you know, going back to the same old well for, you know, Ender books over and over again, but he is a really good short story writer too.
2: Right. That all of these sense. people are, are they they are people who get frequent nominations mm-hmm. for the awards and everything. I think, you know, most of the time, John Joseph Adams is compiling anthologies that span a lot of time. But mm-hmm. this Oz Reimagined set, um, from what I understand, he actually asked people, certain people to write. Yeah, I, so
0: I don't see anyone that I, uh, any story in there that is sort of uh, one I've seen in another anthology before. So it's right. probably all new.
2: They're all new. So that's kind of fun because, you know, you haven't seen it.
0: Right, and Marissa Vu is going to do that one for us, right?
2: She is, yeah. So that's her the other day. So she has cool. the audio version.
0: Next one is another John Joseph Adams collection. Um,
2: yeah, he's been busy. <laughs>
0: yeah, um, it's the Mad Scientist Guide to World Domination. Yeah, looks like a lot of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, looking at the, uh, readers, we don't have the readers on the first, first one, but the Stefan Rudnicki, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Justine Eyer, I guess it's pronounced?
2: Yeah, sorry, on the Oz one, the readers are Nick Podell and Tanya Ebby. Okay.
0: Ebbe. I, I, know Nick Podell, I'm not familiar with her. Mm-hmm. Looks like a big, a slightly bigger collection, there's more stories in it.
3: Yeah, I think so.
0: Um, 13 discs versus 9 discs, and, yeah. So, again, big names. Daniel H. Wilson, Alan Dean Foster, David Farland's in both. David D. Levine, really good short story writer. Um,
2: Shauna McGuire's have, in both, too.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, she's she's all over the Internet. Uh, have you heard any of this one?
2: No, I haven't. I was hmm. going to keep it for myself, but one of our new reviewers wanted it, so okay. I'll send it to him. <laughs>
0: Uh, you know, I, I think it's really hard to review short story collections.
2: I think it's really hard when you're listening to them in particular. Yeah. You can, like stop and take notes of each one. Exactly.
0: And, it's, and there's so many things to make notes about. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's not like you can sort of develop a whole theme over a, a novel. Scott and I, when we started the website years and years ago, we always found reviewing a short story collection was the most difficult. Also, it's the most enjoyable thing to listen to because you get so many ideas in such a short space. But, uh the The fact that they are sort of back to back unlike a regular paper book you can't just you know pop into the middle and jump away. Right. You have to start at the beginning and go to the end in an audiobook it's much much more difficult to review
2: and you'd have to memorize where each one started since they often oh, don't tell you
0: <laughs> it's It's tough it is
2: um but you know. You mentioned Scott, and he's been writing for Reading Envy this year. He's been doing his short story project. And it's been really interesting to see how, even if you read kind of random short stories, you start to see themes that oh, yeah. are the same, and it's been kind of fun to read.
0: Yeah, he 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 gets on one of those, uh, I'm going to... Read, you know, a hundred things or whatever it is. He, he has these reading kicks where he sets himself up a, a list of things that he wants to do. Who
2: doesn't love a list?
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, he—he is the guy who loves lists the most. He's the guy who loves lists the most. But uh yeah, this this looks like a, a pretty interesting collection, and I I would like to know which of the stories in here that like I love mad scientist stories. I think they're, you know, it's it's one of my greatest loves is um. A short story called uh, um, the Microcosmic God, hmm. which is about a guy who a crazy guy in a laboratory who he recreates uh, or not recreates. He creates a species the size of uh, insects and force evolves them by stressing them with radiation. And and basically he makes them evolve is uh, really quickly it's, it's sort of it's sort of like an a a metaphor for um uh the cruel god right he's the cruel god and he and he put, punishes these little creatures he makes so that they become stronger and and the technology it's it's sort of about science fiction which is kind of kind of cool and and uh he's he's an evil character and he's the main character
2: well yeah and if you had to guess by who the authors are listed on here it's probably going to span more than the traditional kind of mad scientist genres, right? There's some steampunk people on here. There's some urban fantasy people, so it could get also really sounds, interesting.
0: Yeah, like Captain Justice saves the day. That sounds like a yeah. sort of the uh, the Superman versus uh, who's the the guy with the bald head and the uh, lots of brains, you know? <laughs> Lex <laughs> Luther? Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor, right? The Superman versus Lex Luthor kind of story. And he, Lex Luthor is a is a mad scientist, right? Sort That's of. Sure,
1: true. Yeah. I mean,
0: it's it's a um, it's sort of a, a pervasive theme, and it's not really one that we we see much anymore. But I I kind of would I want to know what I want to I'm looking forward to reading that review. Yeah, me too. Next up,
2: um, well, this is from Infinivox, which we don't we don't see as it often as brilliant. It's steampunk specs, and we actually put right. the whole list up on the site just because it was long
0: right? Um,
2: but that looks like it has some great authors in there too Sherry Priest is in there we know her pretty well for Mm steampunk Cat Rambo Um, yeah Cat Rambo some of the others weren't as familiar to me so it might be a good way to learn some new authors Margaret Ronald Chris Roberson Sean McMullen
0: yeah these are actually really good collections and he gets really good narrators too Let's see. I didn't spot the narrator on that list. Let's see what's it says. Tom Deere. Yep, he's good. Vanessa Hart and Nancy Linari. He, he gets he gets um I think local actors to do it uh, out of Texas, like stage actors. Oh, great. And uh, there there are people who get into audiobooks out of you know some sort of um they just like audiobooks and they say I'm going to become an audiobook narrator. And then there's people who, like, used to be in movies, and now they're not getting the roles, so <laughs> they do audiobooks. And then there's the stage actors who have always worked uh on stage, but for whatever reason, they're just not well-known outside of their region, you know? And I find that the stage actors are just, they're always good. Huh. They they have to be versatile, right? Yeah, definitely. They're playing all these roles, and I, I, I've always liked that.
2: Well, and I like the themed
0: anthology too. It's nice. Yep, I, it, it's nice to be able to say, "Look, point to this. There's there's some steampunk." Yeah. All
2: right. So the next one I was excited about, but honestly, I don't know the author at all. But I know the reader. <laughs> uh, it's Extin- Extinction Point, which is book mm-hmm. book one of some series. I'm not sure the name of the series. Um, by Paul Anthony Jones. Do you guys know that author? No. Okay, neither. either. Um, it looks like it's post-apocalyptic, you know, my favorite. Oh, right. um, But it's performed by Emily Beresford, and I'm pretty sure that she's the one that read the um, Chuck Wendig books, the Mockingbird, Blackbirds one. So I'm excited to listen to that one. It's short, too, seven discs, not too bad.
0: She's she's a veteran. She's got at least 30, 30 audiobooks narrated. Uh, I don't see the – oh, yeah, there it is, Wendig. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, Blackbird. her voice was great for that, so I'm looking forward to listening to it. And this Thanks. one, I think, is in Alaska. So. Oh,
0: the uh, the series is Extinction Point as well. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. The Extinction Point series.
2: Okay, I'm pretty sure this is the first one to come out. So.
0: Um, and it's not overly long. It's only eight eight hours, so mm-hmm. it might be. If it stands alone, let me know. Yeah. I like well. I like a good uh, end of the world novel as well.
2: It doesn't. Yeah,
0: I uh, I I think they're kind of hard to do. Maybe that's the reason that they're not done more. Right. I mean, it, it's sort of you have to control a much bigger canvas than uh, than if you just follow a character around, sort of thing.
2: Right. And I've quit post-apocalyptic novels for two reasons. One, because all the characters are doing is walking around in desolation, and mm. it gets kind of old. <laughs> And then the other is because sometimes they're just so depressing and violent that it's, you just can't even take it. That's how I felt about Swan Song by Robert McCollum, I think is his name. It's kind of an older, an older one. It was 30 hours long, and I think I got halfway well, through, and I just like, I just can't, I'm going to kill myself if I keep listening.
1: I thought you liked that feeling.
2: Mm. Only well,
1: maybe like not a for balance.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I like doing a 10-hour, really depressing book and then say, oh, that's done good. Move right. on.
1: <laughs> My life is better than that. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's, that's exactly right. It's in comparison. Everything's great. That's hmm. true. Six airs The Secret of G. Is that The S- Secret of G series?
2: Yeah, except for it's not numbered. So I, I don't know much about this series. So it could just be something from the world.
0: And it's, it's not originally in English, I assume, right? Probably not with an author named like Pierre Gribert. Yeah, and it says Les Editions Memnos. Right, so it's from 1996
2: originally, but this is the first time it's been in audio, as far as I could tell. Um, the first sentence says, The known world is a sprawling realm ruled by mortals, protected by gods, and plied by magicians and warriors, merchants and beggars, royals and scoundrels. So it seems like a pretty traditional fantasy type idea. It
1: looks like it's hmm. the first book in the series according to Goodreads. Oh okay.
0: Uh, yeah, book book one. And it's only got one review on um on Audible so far, but interesting premise, engaging characters. Um doesn't tell you much about what's going on in it, but uh I think, you know, just getting it from a a foreign Point of view is is kind of interesting. The, 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 there seems to be tropes that work in other countries that we are not aware of. You know, in North America we don't we don't like those Russian mm. vampire novels. They have different things going on right. in the background. Yeah, it could be fresh. Yeah, there's some there's some sort of twist to it, even though it's it's sort of familiar territory. It's got some sort of you know when you watch a uh Korean or Japanese ghost movie. There's there's stuff going on there that you have no clue about, right? And so it it seems fresh and new.
2: Yeah, and exactly. Brilliance seems to have branched out a little bit lately. Like I feel like we're getting more books that are translated and they've started distributing like Belinda Audio from Australia too. So we're seeing more international stuff, which I really like.
0: Mhm. And this this um, uh, I think started on um Brilliant and then went to Audible rather than uh you know, audible first and then brilliance. Hmm. Uh, they're the same company, but right. uh, different divisions. So uh, it's, it's like they're, they're finding different ways to acquire more content. Yeah, that's good. It's, it's pretty amazing, you know, that uh, if you listen to other podcasts, I, I guess podcasts are sort of distorting uh, our view of, of people's consume, consuming uh, books, but, so many people who you wouldn't, you know, think are audiobook listeners just from whatever content the podcast is about they they do listen to audiobooks it, it's i think there's a trend happening where if people are going to read they are they are actually beginning to prefer audiobooks it's not like we have switched over but you know like when i started talking on this podcast years ago uh, I would meet people like Luke Burridge and he would be a book reader and I'd say, you know, you could try this audiobook. And he said, well, audiobooks, I don't really know about them. Now, I don't believe he <laughs> reads as many book books as he does audiobooks. It's like it, there's a change that's sort of happened in the last five years. That, that the trend is going more towards audio and I guess ebook away from paper book.
1: I guess it's better for a busy lifestyle, traveling.
0: Yeah, but also it's like, you know, you can get, you, can, you don't physically have to be, um, sitting down and staring at a piece of paper. You can be off, uh, you know, doing your day's business. And when you get home, uh, you know, you can sit down and physically look at a piece of paper. And that sort of augments your reading. But this, this thing where, you know, is it available on Audible? Oh, it's not? Okay, then I'll get the paper book. I think that's actually more of a, a trend that's happening, at least in from my, you know, sort of historical view of it. It seems to be a growing trend. Audible seems to be, you know, a much bigger company than it used to be in terms of the readership online.
1: They sure are releasing a lot more audiobooks. I mean, just in science fiction and fantasy, I was looking through their re- new releases, and it's like, it was hurting my yeah. eyes just going through the last month.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you have you uh changed your reading habits at all jenny because you you weren't used to be an audiobook person all the time right
2: um well my short commute still makes it awfully hard you know
0: right.
2: i and i feel like you know people are also talking about podcasts i feel like i don't have time to listen to and mm-hmm. i just wish i had more time for listening like you need that i to move
1: prefer. farther away, or get a job <laughs> <Right>. farther away.
2: <laughs> i know <laughs> I need to live farther away.
0: It, it, I think it does influence lifestyle choices. Like, well, my commute used to be a horrible thing that I had to do every day. And right. now it's, it's not it's not such a big deal. And, you know, if you spend a couple hours every day uh, listening to a book, it, it actually it improves your life versus not listening to a book. I think it's the reason we do it is it improves your life.
2: Right. Well, and. I sometimes intentionally listen to an audiobook over the print because I hear the audiobook add something. Um, I did that with Gone Girl. I wish I had done that with Beautiful Ruins because I've heard the audiobook is amazing and I just I read the print first. Um, so sometimes I can add a lot to the book, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's when I really seek it out, I think.
0: There there are examples when it, it it's not as good. And I, uh, one of the paper books I've got I want to uh, talk about... I was thinking, ah, it's too it's too bad this couldn't be as good as an audiobook. But we'll—we'll we'll talk about that later. Yeah,
2: okay. Let's let's, let's keep going. Let's keep going. <laughs> um, well, up next, it's the first book of a series, so I want to make sure we mentioned it. Seven Kinds of Hell, a Fangborn novel book number one, by Dana Cameron, performed by Kate Rudd. Um, it looks like it's an archaeologist who is also possibly a werewolf. And she has. (laughs) Oh yes, secretive race of werewolves, vampires, and oracles. I'm not sure which one she falls under, but she has to um, get to know her family again, her unhuman family, to rescue her cousin.
0: She's half werewolf, half vampire, and half oracle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, that's just me. Um, It's it's a good title, Seven Kinds of Hell. Yeah, it's it's sort of a. Uh, an expression I've heard.
2: Well and it can be interesting to have a character who's an archaeologist. You don't see that very often. So No.
0: Um yeah, archaeology I studied a little bit in university. I thought it was going to be a lot more Indiana Jones. It's a lot more um science. <laughs> you know what? It's the boring kind of science yeah. though. It's it's the okay make sure your notes are like this and this is how we infer this and and then there's a lot of um documentation basically yeah. Maybe it's like sort of the difference between what our dream of being a librarian is <laughs> and what a actual librarian is. No,
2: being a librarian is awesome. <laughs> is it? Okay. You just don't sit and read all day. But maybe like being a paramedic. I think being a paramedic is maybe
0: yeah. five
2: sixth paperwork and one sixth.
0: Oh, OK. I was thinking paramedic. That'd be a cool job. Lots of yeah. excitement. No, it's probably not. It's probably like lots of drunk people and.
2: Lots of cleaning your rig out so you don't infect oh, anyone and then lots right. of paperwork to cover your back. Right. <laughs> not fun. Yeah. But hey, in a fantasy novel, being an archaeologist can still be awesome. Exactly. So.
1: Is that what Bones is, that, that TV show?
0: No, she's a paleontologist, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have no idea. Uh, is that right? No. Forensic detective, like- maybe? Yeah, but she, like the character, it's based on a book, and the book is based on a person who uh, is like a bone detective. Like she can uh, infer things from bones. It's it's a special kind of autopsying, I guess. But yeah, I think it might be paleontology. It's hard. It's hard to recall.
2: Okay. Forensic anthropologist.
0: Mm. That's why I was looking it up. Sounds right.
1: Yeah. I know an idea uh, in there somewhere.
0: Mm-hmm. There, there sure are a lot of people with uh, d- dying and having just being reduced to bones. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you watch that show; it's like twenty-four episodes a season. At least uh, one uh, one episode every there's one skeleton, right? So it's always a skeleton murder. Um, at least one.
1: She's still writing a ton of books too. I see them all the time.
0: See? So, yeah. Okay. All righty. What's What's next?
1: Um, well there's
2: a book 2 of a series that I don't think or of a trilogy we haven't seen before, The Tainted Realm Trilogy by Ian Irvine, and the book is called Rebellion. And it's read by Grant Cartwright. This is from Belinda Audio. Uh,
0: Australian. Yeah. So it it says time traveling. Oh, I just when I
2: originally posted it, it hadn't been officially released yet. That's uh-huh. it's not about time traveling. It's very uh-huh. much um like epic fantasy-type story.
0: Majory is failing. Well, that's terrible. The <laughs> war has been lost and High Spall has fallen. The Siphonian enemy, led by the reincarnated sorcerer, King Leaf are determined to wipe it off the map and build their ancient realm of Scythe anew. There's a lot of new words to learn here. Rix, R-I-X, now known as Deadhand, (laughs) was once heir to the greatest fortune in all of Highspaul. Now he's disgraced. So, yeah, there's a lot of backstory here. Yeah. Um... It sounds like sort of high fant- high fantasy.
2: And I haven't Although, listened to this one yet, but the last book I tried from Belinda Audio, the narrator was Ing- was um, Australian, very heavy accent. So you
0: yeah, they, I think use Australian accent. Yeah,
2: so that can be kind of fun.
0: Australian audiobook <laughs> company, right? Yeah. Um, I think I might be using the word high fantasy wrong. I always get this wrong. Oh, well, high I fantasy, never know the the lines. <laughs> subgenre of fantasy fiction defined as either taking place in an imaginary world distinct from our no, that sounds right, or by the epic stature of its characters, themes, and plot. So quintessential works of high fantasy include The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, The Worm Ouroboros. That's the yeah, same so that
1: as epic fantasy?
0: Also referred to as epic fantasy, yes.
2: Yeah, I use epic fantasy for everything that's more of the not urban fantasy.
0: So, yeah, I guess, um, <laughs> heel would be, uh, regular fantasy, right? So, and uh, including, you know, you you guys both heard about the new um, Neverwhere adaptation audio drama.
2: Yeah. Sure. Have you,
0: Jeanette, Right. Have you heard any of it? I did. I started listening to it last night. Scott sent me a recording of it, and it's really good. It's um, it's it's like the TV show if you saw the TV show years ago, but audio and uh, better sets. <laughs> Are there sound effects? Oh yeah, it's an audio drama. Yeah, it's, it's not fully a,
1: dramatized and the, with the uh, famous actors
0: too. Yeah, and including Neil Gaiman plays a role in it. Hmm. Um, it's six hours too. That's amazing. It's a huge, huge, big production. And
2: well, I'm glad they're doing that. It's kind of one of his underappreciated novels, really.
0: Yeah, it's it sort of got short shrift when, um, because it it didn't start as a novel. You know, it started as a TV show. He wrote a TV show, and then it was a da- he. I guess novelized it. Hmm. And, um, there was an audiobook release, but I, it was abridged. And I think then there was a regular unabridged one. And now there's the audio drama. So it's, it's gone into every, everything except for film. But what's cool about it, I, I didn't realize it, I guess, at the time is it, uh, I heard Neil Gaiman talking about it. And it's, it's a, it's an allegory about homelessness. And uh, that makes total sense because that's what, you know, that's what it's all about. Uh, At the beginning, there's a homeless person on the street, and then later on, there's a homeless person who's been hurt. And by going into this, uh, you know, by being compassionate, the main character is suddenly out of the real world. And all of the things uh, that happen subsequently are like a way of looking at homelessness as it really is in an allegory allegorical sense. So it's much more palatable than talking about, you know, uh schizophrenia and um uh being poor and substance abuse and and all the horrible things that happen to people who are uh on the margins of society's, you know, upper upper end. Um And so it's much more interesting after I've heard that, I was thinking, oh, yeah, I see what he's doing here. It's much more obvious um, than it was just as a sort of a a regular fantasy. But also it's an urban fantasy, which I forgot about. Right. I actually do like urban fantasy. I like this book. Hmm. But there's there are no werewolves or
2: half witch, half wizard people.
0: there's also he doesn't really he doesn't usually rely on those things and he certainly doesn't say that they are this. But there's you know, if you read The Sandman, um there's a lot of his own creation, sort of that he's got the endless and oh, there's yeah. a that's great. There's a minotaur in this and and there's like the Duke of this who's, you know, thousands of years old, there's time traveling sort of demons and I'm not sure what they are.
2: That's yeah, the it's kind rats. of that's <laughs> true it's kind of like traditional fantasy in an urban environment, which I, I know like technically you would call the urban fantasy. It's just not what we think of as urban fantasy no. right now.
0: But it totally, I mean, it's it totally that it, 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 it's the, it. it's just really good. It is good. <laughs> and it's really <laughs> it's <great>. unique. <laughs> I, uh, I think Neil Gaiman is, is, you know, he he can do no wrong. I've never read a book of his that I thought, oh, you know what? That's not that very good. It's It's either really good or it's good or it's, it's amazing. There's no, you know, junk. He doesn't do junk.
1: I, th- I think I bought Neverwhere on VHS, maybe from Amazon or something, because I did see it, the old TV show.
0: It, hmm. It was a, it was sort of a uh, lowly budgeted serial. Right. Yeah, it was right? kind
1: of like a Doctor Who production.
0: Yeah, a little lower, I think. Than I mean, the modern Doctor, it was the old Doctor right, Who right. But um, it's perfectly good because it's it's got a great story and the acting's fine. But uh, as a new audio drama, I'm happy to see it as well, and it's it sounds really good.
2: Well, good yeah, you you should review that. it.
0: <laughs> I'm thinking about it. Uh, although I think Scott might do that. Oh yeah, good. And um, he's, you know, he's a even bigger fan of Neil Gaiman than I am, if that's possible. Hmm. Oh, I, I don't. Know I don't. Oh yeah, I think so. I could be.
2: And his new novel comes out next month, I think.
0: What's the new one?
2: Uh, the Ocean at the End of the Lane, or something like that.
0: Hmm. Okay.
2: I know it's this month or next month, so it's very soon. Cool.
0: Yeah. How do we get onto that? It's your fault. All right, I accept that. <laughs>
1: fantasy, I guess.
0: High yeah. Fantasy. Oh, yeah. We're talking about the high fantasy, yeah, yeah, right? So it's low fantasy. Yeah, I was thinking. Uh, the other definition I've heard of high fantasy is that it has a lot of magic. Hmm. Um. And I don't know if that, like, when if in that case, wouldn't Harry Potter be <laughs> high fantasy? I don't think it is, though. I think that definition's just wrong.
2: Or the Dresden Files. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. That's urban fantasy. I
2: know, I but mean. there's a lot of magic. That's what I'm saying.
0: Right. Yeah. But I think I think what high fantasy really means is it's sort of another world. I just think of it, it
1: as Tokinesque
0: yeah and and in that sense you you think George R. R. Martin as well, right yeah. It's sort of a whole separate universe, but the way that one works, there's not much magic, so it it doesn't feel like it's high fantasy. These definitions are very poor, right, and they all the anytime you try to categorize large swaths of things, it doesn't work. Neil Gaiman writes Neil Gaiman books, Harlan Ellison writes Harlan Ellison books, you know. And sometimes they don't write the same things. Right. So, don't get too lost in the definitions.
2: Well, I didn't bring it up.
0: <laughs> right. Talking to myself. <laughs> Dead House Gates. Mm. That's probably high fantasy too. Well, let's find out. A Tale of Malazan, Book of the Fallen. Uh, Scott R., a new reviewer, has taken this. It's by
2: Carolson. Yes. And everything we get that is Steven Erikson is very, very
0: long. 28 discs. <laughs> here. How did how did the case hold all those discs in? It was just cardboard. <laughs> wow.
2: Yeah, but you know, there's a lot of people reading through the Malazan books. I'm not sure how you say it. I apologize. Um, in Goodreads right now, some people right. that are like super fans, kind of like this, the group of people that, really love Gene Wolfe or really love Patrick Rothfuss. There's a Steven Erickson group out there too. So I've been hearing a lot about them lately. Um, I've heard they're very well written, very creative for fantasy. And so hopefully Scott R. will like
0: it. Well, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Ralph Lister is the narrator on that. Yeah,
2: he does a good job.
0: doesn't say uh, what book number it is. So it's probably one of those ones where there's 10 or 8. You know, books out.
2: Yeah, I think. I think it's just related.
0: Oh, okay. One of those, you know. in the genre.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's in the world. Uh we we had a review of one of those um new uh uh Kryptonomicon guy and what was that what's that? Mongoliad. Mongoliad,
2: Mongolia, yeah. Turf Kristen has all of them. And she okay. started by listening to the prequel of the first Mongoliad novel. Um, so yeah, we did get in a book three. It's just called the Mongoliad book three. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the larger books are by Neil Stevenson, Greg Bear, Mark Teppo, Nicole Galland, Eric Bear, Joseph Brassie and Cooper Moo. Um, But usually the prequels are written just by Mark Teppo.
0: And it was a really it was like short. It was two hours or something like that.
2: Yeah, most of the prequel ones are one or two discs. But they have one for each of the books.
0: So, so the, each book has its own prequel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's like once you buy into this world, you have to you have to collect them all, like like they do in the 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 you know in the comic book world. They have these things every summer. They used to have a you know like uh, endless nights or something like that. They have like a crossover where everything crosses over with everything else. So you know, if you're buying uh, Fantastic Four, you have to read Iron Man, and if you got Iron Man, you gotta read Spider Man to see where the story goes. Right. So, way of sort of locking you into collecting everything, I think.
2: Well, it's, and it's, this doesn't look any different. There's also one yeah. on our list called The Beast of Calatrava. That's a four-world side quest, <laughs> so it's oh, not my. it's not a prequel that comes before, but it's something that happens alongside. Um yeah, so who knows how long the story will go on. I know that they're still living in it, right? So it's kind of fun to see it unfold.
1: It's a series in three dimensions.
0: Yeah. Six I questions. wouldn't be surprised if, if, if it is popular enough. I wouldn't be surprised to see it turn into a TV show or something like that. It seems like it has that, you know, vibe to it. Yeah. Even yeah. I haven't read a single page of it, but it's, it seems like it's, it's heading in that direction or a game or something like that.
2: Right. There seems I mean, to be a
0: lot of acceptance for that.
2: Well, it started with the online book that you could subscribe to, and then they started putting out actual books and audiobooks. So it's kind of changed and morphed as it since it
0: started. So. Hmm.
2: It'll be interesting.
0: So that that was um, what was the other you were saying there was another one on our list. What was that one called?
2: Um well, we got two versions of book three and then we got the Beast of Calatrava, which is the four world side quest. It's just the oh, first oh, I part of it. down the list. And all of the Mongoliad is read by Luke Daniels. So he's wow. busy.
0: He's spending his whole world in there. Yeah. Um so why are why do we have two different versions of the Mongoliad? There's the Collector's Edition. Right. Is that the one with the, the clock?
2: No, that's something entirely different. Um the collector's editions include this, the prequels. And then uh-huh. the, the regular editions don't, but then they also send the prequels separately. So you can get just the prequels if you want. Hmm. Um, maybe that makes sense if you've been following it on your iPad or something. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot
0: or of different it, versions. Yeah, you know, I think that maybe they give it away, you know, they give something away and then that makes you read the next thing. Yeah, and, sure. And so you don't want to read the thing you already had. And it makes it's, it's somebody's smart marketing. That's what's going on, I think. <laughs> Smart marketing. So uh, next, this looks a little bit different. You normally you categorize these into like genres, right? I just threw them up there this time. I'm, I'm kind of glad you didn't because it it's um uh, these genre conventions they they really hold us down. <laughs> <laughs> Area fifty one, the truth.
2: Yeah, we've been getting a lot of Area fifty one books, so I'll be interested to hear from Casey what he thinks of them. Hmm. It's always the you know, he is. And it's always about special forces saving the human race from being destroyed. Mm-hmm. Just <laughs> different episodes of it, I think.
0: So Mythological artifacts become a modern arsenal in a millennial-long interstellar battle. On one side stands the alien race that stylized itself as gods to secretly steer human evolution. I, I believe that's called uh, Childhood's End there. Uh, On the other end, on the other is an elite team of Area 51 commandos dedicated to freeing humanity from their interstellar overlords. Special Forces officer Mike Turcotte and his former lover Lisa Duncan are among the few who know the truth about the extraterrestrial threat and have the power to fight it. But can they save the human race from eradication or just act as pawns in an elaborate plot to enslave the planet? Um, it doesn't say that it's a series, but it sounds like it's a, Potential series.
2: Yeah, because we had about six of them total.
0: Yeah, it's number seven. Um,
2: And they're all all Bob Mayer, performed by Eric G. Dove, so there's a lot of consistency between the different...
0: It's short. It's only seven CDs. I like -hmm. that. Um, Did you guys see the Zero Dark 30 movie? No. I have it right now. Oh, okay. But it's It's like all...
1: It starts with all these torture scenes.
0: It is a big torture fest, but... Um, they do have Area 51 in there. It's, uh, it's no aliens, it's just helicopters. Which is really probably what they do there is just make, you know, test, test equipment. (laughs) Um, If
1: Osama was an alien. Uh,
0: yeah, it, 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 there's a very strange vibe going on in that movie. But, uh, that is neither here nor there. I just thought, I thought it was, you know, it, it, it's, you get a look at what Area 51 is doing, and it's just, yeah, it's what it's what we thought. If you read Popular Science, they always have, like, or Popular Mechanics, they always have, like, here's the new spy plane, here's the new spy this, and, and they use some spy helicopters, I think, when they, they go to get Osama bin Laden. All right, so the next book, I think that would make a really good read-along. What huh,
2: think? we must have thought that,
0: too. <laughs> hmm. Among others, winner of the Hugo and Nebula Awards and... And also the very high honor of being a former SFF audio read-along. Indeed. By if Joe it Walton. It has to be
1: Welsh accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I
2: it's performed by Catherine Kelgren, And she does a really good job with that Welsh accent.
0: I really enjoyed listening to this one. I think it was a very good read. Yeah. I, I'm looking forward to what Bryce has to say about it, mm-hmm. too. Because um, I think, you know, thinking back about it, uh, the, the big takeaway, other than being a pretty good story... Is it you know it? I just love having somebody telling me about all these cool books. Right. And that's what it is, right?
2: Right. And Bryce has read a lot in the genre, so I think he'll enjoy it a lot too.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
2: And the reason it's on our list again is because it was an Audible, and now it's out on CD. So. Right. Yeah.
0: Good stuff. So we we talked about the two Mongolian ads.
2: Yeah, there's actually four things on here at least. Oh, so you okay. can skip down quite a bit. Uh, the next one is. Hey,
0: Sorry. Sorry, you keep going.
2: We already talked about the prequel too. You can see, well, you can see the prequel to the first one on sffaudio.com. The review of that, but we did get a prequel to the last one too. Um, Okay, so the next one is Between Two Thorns. This is number one of the Split Worlds. I'm not sure if that's a series or a trilogy, but it's number one. That helps. Um, It's by Emma Newman. And it's one of the angry robot on Brilliance audio titles, so that means this is its first release in audio um performed by Emma Newman, the author, and she's from Cornwall, so hopefully that means there's an accent involved
0: a Cornish accent <laughs> yes um
2: and this is um looks like fantasy. the new season is starting, and the master of ceremonies is missing. Max an arbiter of the split worlds treaty is assigned with the task of finding him with no one to help but a dislocated soul and a mad sorcerer. So I think this is a new author and I look forward to hearing about it.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm glad we're we're going to get reviews of these cuz it's before we had you finding all these reviewers, what we would have is a big stack of books, and we say, I "Wonder what that's like." Now mm-hmm. we at least get an, a, an idea.
2: Now we'll know.
0: So I, I know this next one because I saw the movie. Yep,
2: I've seen the movie.
0: Uh, what did you think of the movie? What What is the movie?
2: Jumper, which is pretty recent, right? I mean, I know it was a couple all...
0: years ago, at least I think.
2: No, I think I saw it in the theater. No. Oh. Yeah. Really? Yeah.
0: Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm thinking of the. Is this the first? Is the first book? Yeah, is the, the first one. I swear! I swear there was a movie a couple years ago.
1: Yeah, there was. I mean, th- this book has been out for a 2008. while.
0: 2008. 2008 was the movie. That's four years ago. Five years ago.
2: Well, they must have done a new one
0: because. Really. Who
2: was in the movie that you saw?
0: Uh the movie that I saw had Hayden Christensen. And Samuel L. Jackson. Right.
1: I mean, this book came out in 92, right?
0: Your book came out a long time ago. Yeah. I reviewed the audiobook uh, years and years ago, a different version of the same audiobook. Pretty sure I did. Oh, you oh. know what
2: I'm thinking of? <laughs> uh,
0: what are you thinking of? I'm thinking of Looper. <laughs> <laughs> Looper. Okay, Looper is not this movie. Nope. Looper is also not a book, as far as I'm aware.
2: Okay. I mean, maybe it's... Never mind. I got sidetracked by this, the time travel description.
0: <laughs> Is there time travel?
2: Well, it's like, what if you could go anywhere in the world? In the blink of an eye, where would you go? What would you ah. do? Davy can teleport. Well, that so far sounds kind of like Looper.
0: <laughs> I hear you. Okay, so it... Uh, yeah, except they don't teleport. They time travel, right? Yeah, okay. It's <coughs> some antics. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's well,
0: confused. I'm sorry. There's a, there's a difference between the two. So I, I reviewed years and years and years ago, uh, 2004 or so, I reviewed Ref- Reflex, which is the second book in the Jumper series. Oh. I didn't know it was the second book in the series. It worked perfectly fine on its own. Um, but there was some weird stuff I saying. There's a lot of backstory here, but it's a perfectly fine story on its own. And Jumper is the original and i think re- it may include some stuff from reflex but basically what it is is it's a um a kid discovers that he has the ability to teleport himself and his uh his father is a evil violent person and he in order to save his own life i think he teleports himself now if you've read the demolished man um oh sorry not the demolished man the other one uh the, the Destination there you go, tiger, tiger, the yeah. star's my destination, you would know that it's exactly the same idea, right? Is that um, we all, humans have, some Some of us maybe have the ability to teleport and um, what is the consequence of this? So it's it's kind of...
1: He, he actually acknowledges like, the book in the back of Jumper.
0: Yeah, and he should because it, it is exactly, um, you know, it's the same exact idea. It's just um, the demolished man has a whole other sort of plot Starship going on. Yeah, sorry. The Star's My Destination has a whole other plot going on that uses this as just a part of the premise, whereas Jumper is all about what is the consequence of this and sort of a worldwide uh, effect on Earth and the people who it's sort of like superheroes, basically what I'm saying.
2: Well, and if you'll notice, the book listed after is... Of the same idea, it's called Impulse right. by the same author, but it's a female character, Scent, and so it's performed by Emily Rankin instead. Mm-hmm. And it's also about someone just discovering that they can teleport.
0: Yeah, I think it's all the same series. It's just it doesn't say that, but it goes Jumper, Reflex, and then probably Impulse. That's hmm. right.
2: Well, this one's newer too, so yeah. I mean, I try to teleport sometimes; it hasn't
0: worked <laughs> yet. We're in the meeting. <laughs> God, get me out of here. <laughs> that you to have, have an abusive father. father. Uh, then you'll teleport.
1: Oh,
2: darn.
0: Yeah.
2: Or be yeah. good at snowboarding. I mean, that's what happened with the Impulse book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to take up snowboarding, then I'll be able to figure it out.
0: Well, uh, so we've got Sarah reviewing Impulse, and Jumper's going to be re- re- reviewed by Bryce, so mm-hmm. m- maybe we could have a battle of the well, reviews.
1: And in SARS Star- <laughs> Star- my destination, they actually uh, keep killing people until they teleport.
0: That's right. Okay. That's right. That's how you make make sure people have the ability. Can you teleport? No? You're dead. It's
2: a psychic trauma, basically. The opposite of proving someone's a witch by drowning.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Clever. Mm-hmm. It's very hardcore. Yeah. Angelopolis. I think we had the first of this series, didn't we, a while ago? Probably. This is from Penguin Audio. Oh, okay. Which
2: we don't see as much from. No. Um yeah, we seem to have a lot of angel books lately in that urban fantasy genre. This one is clearly more along the romance line. Um let's see. Danielle Trussoni, read by Eduardo Ballerini. It actually doesn't come out until this next week. Ooh. So we've had it for a while. Um but it's yeah, it's Angelology number two. And USA Today says it's a thrill ride, best described as the Da Vinci Code meets Raiders of the Lost Ark, but then there's wow. angels, in, so they don't really include the angels part in there. Ah, um, but it has an art historian and a beautiful young nun thrown into an ancient battle between a secret society and mankind's most insidious enemies, angel-human hybrids known as the Nephilim. Um,
0: the cover of the the audiobook has a what was what are those eggs called? The Russian. Uh, beautiful jeweled eggs. I can't remember what they're called. Oh,
2: man. I even went to an exhibit.
0: Uh, it'll come to me long after the podcast, but yeah. one of those pretty eggs. Yeah, those nice eggs. Jewels <laughs> all over them. and mm-hmm. uh, Not Easter eggs, by the way. <laughs> In any case, um, it seems to be, be getting pretty good reviews on Goodreads. Um, 4.33 out of 130 ratings. Fabergé. Uh, Fabergé. There we go. Oh. Don't, don't try and crack one.
2: Yeah, and you know, honestly, if I had number one on hand, I might take this one on because the Da Vinci Code is kind of my guilty pleasure. So i probably enjoy it.
0: You feel guilty about it? Yes. You should.
2: <laughs> I even have the illustrated edition.
0: <laughs> oh, my. The Da Vinci Code got me through a uh,
1: car trip to North Carolina and back. Yeah, it's so pretty fast-paced. It came, came in handy for
0: me. Uh, You know, the scariest thing for me ever is on a long car trip and you didn't bring enough variety of things that you don't know, you've got like six audiobooks, you put one in and it's terrible. You you take it out, you put in the next one, please let this one be good. (laughs) You end up picking the least worst one, right? And then it's terrible and you still have to keep going so you don't give it up. So that's my nightmare is is having to sit through a terrible book and having to be inside the author's you know, boring, uninteresting, stupid world for a long time.
2: Well, you know, I once didn't take enough books on a cruise,
0: and we mm. were trapped
2: in a port by fog for three days. And, of yep. course, I finished all the books I brought, and I was stuck with what was in the library. Um, So, I, otherwise, I never would have read Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. <laughs> mm.
1: Wow. <laughs> and you loved how,
2: it. How it? it. It ended up being really entertaining, and I, I was horrified by the idea but it was the best thing there so you never know what you'll find when you're trapped it's
0: Stockholm Syndrome Jenny <laughs> Stockholm Syndrome I love the zombies
1: <laughs> there you
0: go alright you're hooked
1: <laughs> oh it's written by Seth Graham Smith too
0: oh yeah yeah he's big name now right yeah
1: uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Killer and mm. that other book
2: yeah about, I think it's uh, the, f- the same one the first one that he did I'm not sure uh-huh. but it was it's actually kind of clever because if you read Pride and Prejudice alone, you know, there's all these social codes that are the reason that the characters do what they do. But when it's because they're zombie hunters, you know, that's the reason she doesn't get married. Because if she gets married, she can't fight zombies anymore.
0: <laughs> it's clever. It's very it's better, clever. Yeah. It's very clever. I Maybe mean, Julie should read that. I I wouldn't be surprised if she did. Well, she didn't I, know, I know she
1: read that author before.
0: Hmm. Redemption Alley, Jill Kismet series.
2: Yeah, so here's what I think has happened. Um, Lil- happened? Lilith St. Crow's series that she's working on now mm-hmm. has been pretty popular, and so I think they've gone back and put the Jill Kismet series on au- on audio because ah. these are older.
0: Um, yeah, 2009 is the original date on that.
2: Yeah, right. and this is not the first one that we've had.
0: Um, but
2: Don, our Summer new Summer. reviewer, I've sent her all three,
0: so she'll, oh. she'll get into those. Hopefully she'll like them. Yeah, I hope so. When her police contact asks her to look into a suicide, <laughs> Jill Kidman suddenly finds herself in a labyrinth of deception, drugs, and murder, and all too human corruption. The cops are her allies, except for the ones who want her dead. The hellbreed are her targets, except for the ones who might know what's going on. Her city is in danger, time is running out, and each lead only draws her deeper. How far will the hunter go when her city and her friends are on the line? Question mark. I guess we'll have to read to find out. Mm. Yeah. Now, Scott has the next one. Uh, I'm kind of a little bit jealous. I want to hear what <laughs> <he's gonna> say <laughs> because I like Spider Robinson's writing a lot.
2: And the book is the free lunch. It's also mm. read by the author.
0: Yeah. He's a really good reader too.
2: Mm.
0: You ever heard a Spider Robinson read book? No. Well, he, he doesn't do a lot of voices, but he brings like, he's like sort of this, uh, really humane hippie guy. <laughs> Him, you know, so his writing is very humane and hippie. He, he, he loves Heinlein. This, the title is a uh, nod to that, uh, Tanstaffel. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. Uh, this line from, I guess, uh, a few Heinlein books or at least one Heinlein novel has that as a, uh, something that they say, and he's a really big fan of heinlein he you know he uh collaborated with him on an unfinished novel and he's written other books that are you know tributes to Heinlein and such um so i I don't know what this one's about, but um I really like his writing, and I think you know if you listen to him as an audiobook reader he's really he brings Something to his own writing that is really useful, um, and that you can hear his voice all the more.
2: Hmm. Well, and this one's kind of a short one, only six discs, and it's from hmm. Blackstone Audio. Um, it sounds like it's about a hidden world behind a theme park, so it sounds kind of like an interesting premise.
0: It's a theme park fantasy.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> sounds like a Neil Gaiman.
2: Yeah, called yep. the Dream World. <laughs>
0: He's, he, he has a, like a, if you read his, um, he has a Callahan's Bar series. Callahan's Chronicles is a bunch of short stories and then there's a bunch of Callahan books. Um, it's basically a bunch of characters talking to each other. So there's a lot, a lot of dialogue and, and the, the upshot of everything is everybody should be humane to everyone else. He, he's like such a super hippie. <laughs> That's
3: uh, nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it, it just, there's something strange about him being a big fan of Heinlein because Heinlein is considered, you know, uh, the father of military fantasy, uh, military SF, right? And Heinlein's characters are, you know, often in the military. They, you know, are sometimes thought to be offering up sort of fascistic, um, pro-military, anti-civilian things. And, and Spider Robinson himself is like a draft dodger fled, the United States to you know go live on a commune in Canada so it, it 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 there's a lot of sort of what looks like inconsistency but is actually just a sort of an appreciation of all all the flaws and strangest strangeness that's in humanity and and that's so nice to read when you you know have been reading sort of a fascistic <laughs> junky uh pro war I don't know. We after you watch after you watch Zero Dark Thirty, you can sort of say, "Oh, I'll go read some Spider Robinson and feel uh. better." About, <laughs> feel better about things. That balance again.
1: Exactly. Yeah, but didn't Holland start like the Sex Revolution or something with Stranger in a Strange Land? Yeah, he, or the hippie movement. Not,
0: he didn't start it. He sort of it reflected became, it. <laughs> yeah, and not even really reflected it. Heinlein was sort of, he, he has he had a sort of a weird thing with sex all the way through all of his books. It's just it became much more obvious later on when he's not writing children's novels.
2: Hmm. Hey, Tam, do you know Michael Flynn, the author?
1: Um, I've heard of him. I think he collaborated with uh, Larry Niven.
2: Okay, because so, we had book number four of the Firestar Saga come through um, called Falling Stars. It just sounded... Yeah. Kind of like your thing. Oh, maybe. Just wondered.
0: Let's hear the description.
2: In the early years of the 21st century, humans have advanced step by slow step into space. Constantly monitoring the heavens, they have discovered that certain asteroids have changed their orbits and are on a collision course with Earth. Urgent reaction is required, but politics and a worldwide financial crash are getting in the way. Sounds a little familiar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To save humanity from disaster, two of Earth's prominent families, a host of political movers and shakers, and dedicated pilots and space travelers of all stripes must band together.
0: <laughs>
1: sounds like football.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, a little bit. You know, I I was uh, I was talking with one of my friends about, um, you know, that Russian uh, meteor. You guys saw the Russian meteor footage, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, so I was thinking, you know, the way the U.S. Uh, response to things like existential threats like uh, terrorism and stuff. I was thinking, what would have happened if that had happened over, you know, uh, I don't know, Ohio instead of over, you know, Siberia? What would, have, what would have happened to, you know, CNN and Fox News? What would they have done with this event if it was happening in the United States as opposed to some foreign place that, you know, is just a YouTube sort of thing? But we have one. Crushed- did it happen like that?
2: I, well, there's a video.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying it didn't happen in the United <laughs> States. Oops.
2: No, 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 yesterday. Like, there's articles about it everywhere.
0: There are articles about it, but it wasn't, like, visceral in the same way. Like, like if, if you were outside and you saw that happening, what would you think? It would be different than watching it on YouTube, right? Sure. So, I think it would be really interesting. Like, I, I'd like to know what Dan Carlin would think would happen if that happened over the United States instead of over Russia wouldn't it be like holy shit we got to defend ourselves from these dangerous rockets uh, uh, rocks in outer space right the existential threat is not you know uh, from somebody walking around with a camera taking pictures of your your landmarks in your city but it comes from outside reboot an interest in in space exploration and putting Rockets into space instead of, uh, I don't know, checkpoints at the border.
2: But what I'm saying is we had one last night and it didn't really. Oh, my God. It didn't get in the news where people got freaked out. It was in social media.
0: Oh, really? Well, I haven't heard of this. I put a few links that we can put in our show notes, but
2: they have had like the FAA The NORAD, NASA have all kind of weighed in.
1: I didn't see it. NORAD. There was a
2: fireball as bright as a full moon. (laughs) Oh. Um, But yeah, I mean, it didn't do the thing where the buildings shook and lost all their glass and exploded
0: in the sky. Yeah.
2: Right. But you know, that's two and not very short of a time. So.
0: But it would just be a much more interesting way to shit your pants over something uh, that is real. And and yet not also it's I mean, they're, they're dangerous, but they're not as dangerous as as we think they are, just from the visceral, you know, feeling of seeing that happen, we would go, holy crap, right? Well that's just when you call Superman up, right? I mean
2: that's the exactly. only thing I know to do.
0: Or Bruce Willis.
2: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> well, or you you get um Neil deGrasse Tyson and say, you know, if you were uh consulting on how to so- solve this problem, what would you do? And he'd say, well, we put uh, things into outer space and we, you know, move the move the meteors out of the way, right? It doesn't, it's not as sexy as, you know, like uh, Armageddon or Deep Impact or something like that, but at least it would be productive.
1: Yeah, he says I'm, you could just use the gravity of another spaceship. Right. Close to the meteor to uh, attract it away from the path towards Earth.
0: Mm-hmm. If an asteroid It'd just coming, be a more interesting way of of spending tons of money on something that is really not all that useful. I mean, it, it, meteors are not really a big threat, right?
1: Well, how about they're, asteroids, they're, though?
0: Well, they, they're the same thing. Meteor is an asteroid in the uh, coming out of the sky, or a meteor is any uh, foreign body that goes into the atmosphere.
1: Yeah, but isn't that what what killed the dinosaurs?
0: But how often does that happen, right? (laughs) Every (laughs) 15 million years.
1: Huh? It only has to happen once.
0: (laughs) But this is is like the, um, this is the same thinking that has, has it so that the, I don't want to, I don't want to get too deep into this, but you know, like. A suspending habeas corpus within 100 miles of the U.S. border because Canadians might come down and bomb you is not really a rational response to the number of deaths caused by Canadians coming to the U.S. border. So I'm saying if you're going to be irrational about something, right, spend spend tons of money and you know some, wasting billions of dollars on something completely useless, at least make it out out an ex an external threat rather than um, a sort of autoimmune threat. Mm-hmm. It's like being afraid of going um, in an airplane is not as dangerous of, as being afraid of your family. Okay. Off the rails. Okay. okay. <laughs> next book.
2: Uh, the next Black- book is another one by Blackstone from Blackstone, I mean. Far Side by Ben Bova, read by Stefan Rednicki.
0: Good narrator. Uh, Scott's going to take that, right? Mm-hmm. Ben Bo loves him.
1: It's funny the bookstores aren't really stocking this except for one that I've seen.
0: But it's, uh, it's
1: pretty new, right?
0: So, really yeah. new. So, yeah. Or or is it just a is it a just a new audiobook? Is it a new book or is it a new? No, book? I seen
1: I've seen the hardcover at bookstores.
0: Oh, okay, so it's a new book, but it's not a well stocked new right. book.
1: I don't wow. think it's that successful, to be honest. Yeah, it's about the
2: side of the moon that never faces Earth.
0: The dark side. The far side.
1: Yeah, these, <laughs> this group of scientists are trying to see another Earth-like planet, or they're in a race to build a telescope that sees this planet before someone else does. Yeah, it's it's almost like a soap opera. I, I've read like a hundred pages of it, and <laughs> it's not that long. No,
2: only eight CDs worth. So
0: yeah, so, did you say soap opera or space opera?
1: Uh no soap opera. There's like uh, <laughs> the first chapter has a young woman who says, "Hey, that that guy is kind of handsome. I wonder if he'll notice uh, me."
0: Okay. Seems so,
1: to have like um uh, uh, like ar- archaic characters that.
0: Well, Ben Bova's getting on, so he, he he he's perhaps um, he's he's still writing the same style of.
1: Yeah, it feels like a vintage
0: uh vintage science yeah. fiction. Yeah, when you read a Jack Williamson book, you're not gonna say, "Um, uh, how come he doesn't reflect all the social media stuff?" <laughs> you know, he, the guy's 90 years old or whatever. What do you What do you want from him? Mm-hmm. He's not gonna talk about that stuff. He's still around. Ben, uh, Jack Williamson. I think he may have just died recently, but he was around not too long ago. Yeah, and they've and, been
2: putting out a lot of his books and audio, so we feel like right. he's been
0: around. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. Uh, let me see. Well, let me see if I can find out if Jack Williamson is still alive.
2: And the last line of the description of Farside is, oh. it says, but what they will ultimately find will stun everyone and the human race will never be the same. Yeah. So, kind of makes well, you want to read it.
0: Yeah, makes you want to read it. Yeah, I want to hear what Scott has to say about it. Um, So he died in 2006. Oh, okay. And, um, uh, and he was born in 1908. Mm-hmm. So Wow. You know, he was there at the beginning. He did a lot of the, um, uh, he did a lot of the, um, space opera, the original space opera stuff. I'm not saying, uh, Ben Bove is that old. He's not that old. But, um, he, you know, he edited analog when he was not a young man. Uh, not analog, uh, Omni. He was born in 1932 and he's still alive. He's 80. So, <laughs> if you're expecting, uh, a lot of <laughs> different, you know, person, uh, modern stuff from him, I think you're, you're going to be mistaken. Right. But he, he is, he does do, uh, kind of hard SF, um, in the sense that it's about physics mm-hmm. and such, not just about, um, using the props of science fiction in order to, you know, like do a military SF thing, laser guns and spaceships and aliens. It's not about that. It's about, um, Real physics sort of stuff,
1: but it well, even... seemed pretty accessible too. Oh,
0: yeah. Good.
1: I mean, the science wasn't so overwhelming that uh, you you lost, you got lost. I don't.
0: I don't think he leaves the solar system very much. He, he sort of does stuff that is very practical or plausible. Solar opera. Solar opera. I think that's <laughs> it. solar soap opera.
2: Right. So the last one by Blackstone Audio is Aftermath, which is Supernova Alpha Series number one by Charles Sheffield, read by Gary Decayos, I guess. Um the mm-hmm. book itself is from nineteen ninety-eight, so it's been a while, but this is the first time I think it's an audio. And just the first two lines, it's twenty twenty six and catastrophe has struck from an unexpected source. The Alpha Centauri supernova has risen like a second sun rushing earth toward its last summer. And there's three groups of survivors, a militant cult, three cancer patients, and the survivors of the first manned Mars expedition that are all trying to get home.
0: It's, it's, it's got a lot of things going on. Yeah,
2: there is. I was trying to pick out the important stuff there.
0: Um, it's got a president. It's got all sorts of stuff. I, I, I've heard a lot about Sheffield, but I don't think I've read very much in just a short story or something like that. Um, so... Uh, we don't have an, a reviewer for that, so hopefully we'll
3: yeah, no, find somebody to yet. tell us
0: all about it. Sounds interesting. Uh, next up, Black Feathers.
2: Yeah, I got a bunch of Angry Robot on Brilliance just yesterday. Um, so these are just coming out this next week. So the first hmm. one is Black Feathers, which is number one of The Black Dawn by Joseph DeLacy, performed by Simon Vance. Um good reader. Yes, a very good reader. It is the black dawn, a time of environmental apocalypse, the earth racked and dying. It is the bright day, a time long generations hence, when a peace has descended across the world. In each era, a child shall be chosen. Their task is to find a dark messiah known only as the Crow Man. But is he our savior or the final incarnation of evil?
0: Hmm. So this sounds like a futuristic fantasy.
2: Yeah. Apocalyptic fantasy, maybe. I'm thinking Yeah, because it's
0: set in the future, right?
2: Yeah, I'm thinking the stand a little bit, you know, with the Dark yeah. Man and
0: yeah. yeah, you're right. So
2: it would be interesting.
0: Interesting. The Crow Man. The Crow Man. Yeah. Hey, so that reminds me, have you guys seen this new history channel T V show called uh the uh, just Vikings?
2: No. no, but I feel like everyone I know is watching it, and I really need to. I love the they Vikings. Cars. I'm a quarter yeah. Viking, so.
0: Are you a quarter Viking? I'm a quarter I Viking. Know. I always what, expect. What kind, of, what kind of Viking are you? You Danish Viking, Danish. Icelandic? Yeah. Okay. Spensin. <laughs> okay. Uh, my, me and my friend Steen Hansen are watching it. <laughs> um, uh, what do you think? Uh, you know what's. It's not bad, but what's cool about it is actually, like, if you know a little bit about what they're, what, what they're doing with it is that actually it's kind of based on real saga. It's not just like, hey, let's do some Viking shit and get some horned helmets and, you know, go some raiding. It's actually all based on, um, legends of the real Vikings. And so the main character is a real historical, not historical, uh, Quasi historical, uh, saga dude. And his adventures follow the, roughly follow the, the saga. And so the way they navigate and the way they, um, do their rating and such is all sort of based on that historical thing. So, you know, the, the people who are producing this are the same people who did the Tudors and the Borgias and that sort of thing. It's, it's a historical style of, uh serial fiction,
3: hmm. based Sounds on great.
0: yeah, it it's and it's got a it's got a good sort of visceral um, uh, it's they they don't you know play up the gore, but it's not shying away from it and making it more of a romance. It's not so much a romance as it is a um, interesting look at how Vikings thought and how they interacted with Christians. and mm-hmm.
2: You know, one of my favorite novels is The Thrall's Tale, and it's written by an author who did 10 years of research to make it very historically accurate. It's about the Viking settlement in Greenland in about 985, cool, right around when they're moving from paganism to Christianity. So it sounds like it might be from a similar time period, and it's just a great book. So I need to watch that show. Mm-hmm.
1: Kind of sounds yeah, like I think, a Game of Thrones feel. It's only real life.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no, ma- <laughs> there's no real strong magic going on in it. But um, they do talk they sort of play up the religion. And um, I think the very first scene of the first episode has, you know, he's seeing Valkyries on the battlefield, and it could be just because he's, you know, he's so exhausted, and you know, he's, you know. Uh, coming out of a berserker mode or whatever,
2: or because but, they exist,
0: <laughs> <laughs> could be that. Could be that. But um, yeah, it, it certainly has potential, and I'm enjoying enjoying it so far.
3: Hmm, good.
0: I think it's filmed in Ireland.
3: Hmm.
0: Good. Uh, got distracted there. Um, we got <laughs> Robert J. Sawyer. Look up.
2: Yes, triggers performed by Jeff Woodman on Brilliance Audio. Um it was an odd last year, ten discs, and it's an experimental device that can modify or erase memories, and it's accidentally amplified. And among those affected is the president of the United States.
0: And the question now arises if he has the memories of another person who has his memories, da, da, which da. is the plans for upcoming <laughs> secret military operation, right? Okay. Um so uh, I really like Robert J. Sawyer's um Writing, he always brings a, a lot of research to whatever it is he's writing about. And even if something is implausible in somewhere in the story, there tends to be a, a good uh, reason for that in the writing itself. It, the, the novels tend to make sense, uh, at least within the, the structure of the novel. It, it's not like it's real science fiction, is what I'm saying. But this one seems like a little more um, present day. Right, hmm. tech thriller. Yeah, almost. more techno-thriller style, yeah. I haven't heard much about it. Yeah,
1: this was his last novel, and then Red Mars Blues comes out the same day, Tuesday.
0: Oh, okay. Hmm, March
1: 26th. Yeah. And Triggers mm-hmm. comes out in paperback, too, on Tuesday. Uh-huh.
2: It's a busy day for releases.
0: Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Actually, there's a lot of good stuff coming out, then. Morlock Night.
2: Yeah, this is an interesting one, because it is from 1979 in the print. Um, It's by K.W. Jeter, performed by Mm -hmm. Michael Page, and this is another Angry Robot title. Um, It looks like it's about the time machine, and the brutish Morlocks return from the desolate far future to Victorian England to cause mayhem and disruption. But the mythical heroes of old England have also returned in the hour of the country's greatest need to stand between England and her total destruction. Now, I thought Connie Wilkes had English time travel covered, but (laughs) apparently this came before and then also Mm -hmm. after, you know, time travel. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's Morlocks, the time machine, Victorian England, King Arthur, Merlin. It's steampunk. Right. Um, I've seen it on the shelves. Um, yeah, he invented steampunk. Yeah, kind of. That's what I hear.
2: That must be why uh, they're releasing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, it's it's one I've seen, and I, I'm kind of curious if we got a reviewer for that.
2: No, but I just got it yesterday,
0: so. Okay. Well, put, put it out there, and if anybody snags it, then that's good. And if not, then I will research it more, because... I like old stuff that's been brought back. That means it's probably good.
2: Yeah, and it's only six hours, so that's Mm -hmm. kind of your length.
0: It's at one (laughs) Jesse length, right? Yeah. I guess Tim Powers did the introduction. Oh, there's an introduction, too. Nice.
2: Um, Well, I think he was the original publisher, so I think that it got subsumed by Brilliance after that. It's copyright 2011 Tim Powers for the audio book.
1: Oh. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't know he was a publisher. Well, I no, think he, he, right he, he probably wrote first. an introduction, and then they—I don't know if he's in the audio. I guess if he's well, in the credits.
0: Huh. I guess we can find out.
1: Yeah.
0: Next one we've got is the Age Atomic, which is a sequel to Empire State, which is one we were kind of interested in before.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: we that we got uh, read by. Phil Gigante, it's an Adam Christopher book. Uh, nine CDs, uh, 10 hours, 19 minutes, another angry robot. And this is the one that's uh, superheroes in a fictional city, right? Or is it not a fictional city?
2: No, the last book we got from him was something. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It wasn't Empire State, it was something else. The Seven yeah. Wonders or something? Yeah, Seven Wonders. That was the superhero one. Empire State, I know a lot of people have read because it was a sword and laser pick. I didn't uh-uh. read that particular one myself. Um, but this is the sequel to that one.
1: Okay. Superhero noir.
2: But I think, mm-hmm. I think you're right. It still has to do with superheroes. But the other one had like superheroes in the title, kind of. So I'm not sure how they're related or if they are at all, but that seems to be his little subgenre.
0: It's it's called the thermonuclear sequel to Empire State. <laughs> okay.
2: Oh, I guess... Because uh, the city has been...
0: Explosive. ...in a deep freeze. Okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's an explosive thriller.
1: 1954,
0: <laughs> yeah. New
2: York. And the cover's oh, neat. Like, I love the covers on his
0: books. Yeah, they're really intricately beautiful, aren't they? They really are. So. Interesting. Now, uh, this is read by... Uh, Phil Giganti, and I actually have a Phil Giganti related news story for you. Oh, yeah. Um, Phil Giganti is a really good narrator. He narrated the, um, oh, uh, Stainless Steel Rat books, um, which I think there are a dozen or so, uh, which were also released by Brilliance. He, I think, has done a couple of Philokidic ones. And, uh, he is doing a new Philip K. Dick one, which is actually a book that is right this second currently out of print and will be in print shortly after this podcast comes out. And that is, uh, Galactic Pot Healer. Galactic Pot Healer is, I think, one of Philip K. Dick's best novels. It's one of the best novels that I've, of his that I've read. It may be, uh, as good as The Man in a High Castle in a very different way. Um, and, uh, it's, not available right now but it is i guess one of the i keep thinking there's no more philip k Dick books for them to come out you know brilliance to come out with but they're they keep finding them so um this one is coming out i think mm, the 16th of april and that should be really good that's my phil giganti news he will be the narrator for the new audiobook version of galactic pot healer that's great Did did you hear it already I have not heard the new one. I, I'm listening to the Grover Gardner one for the second time this week, and it's so funny.
2: Yeah, and you just got Julie to read that one too. Yeah,
0: we're going to do a podcast on it yeah. tomorrow. Morning.
2: Oh, that's tomorrow. She seems to really like it when I read her review. So
0: it's it's um it's it's uh, listening to it again the second time this week. I I really enjoy it. There's so much in there, and it's it's a lot like a Sheckley book. You know, it's got a, a sort of a sheckley situation it's got a uh a lot of humor it's kind of a satire it's got more uh of the philip k dick stuff going on in it and everybody in it is suicidal which is i think hilarious um and that's uh and they have reason to be it's an existential uh quest sort of book with very uh weird lovecraftian um uh Cthulhu kind of character as the motivator. It's it's kinda like think of it this'll make it interesting to Jenny. It's kinda like a comedic version of a neuromancer. Huh. Uh, with uh the instead of Wintermute being the um motivator, it's uh Cthulhu being the motivator, the the puller of all the strings.
2: Huh uh, I guess I'll have to hear it when Phil does
0: it. Yeah. We uh, hopefully we'll, they'll send us a copy and uh, you can have a listen. Yeah. I think, I think it's brilliant.
2: So we are done with my list. That's all the physical audiobooks that we have. Did you want to talk about the physical books you've been getting next?
0: Yeah, let's talk about these physical books, and then we'll talk about new releases if we've got time. Sure. All right, so I've got a big stack of Tor. Tor has been sending me big stacks of uh, paper books, hardcovers and uh, a lot of them are series, so I don't have much to say about them, but I will give the details about them. So the first one on my stack, they all came with press releases, but I'm just going to look at the books, I think. Ellie Modisette, I think is how it's pronounced, Junior. Imager's Battalion. I think this is a um series of uh, Imager books. And, you know, the nice thing you forget about paper books is when it's a real good company – they actually look pretty on the page. You know, typesetting <laughs> probably doesn't do a lot of, for a lot of people. But I got to tell you, when you see shitty typesetting, it actually hurts the reading experience. When you haven't got the font the right size, you haven't got the right font, you haven't got the right spacing. Um, there is something to be said for reading a paper book that has, you know, chapter uh, icons that make it easy to find where you're looking for something, placing uh, words on the page and um, offsetting, all that stuff actually does count. And that's one consistency with Tor that I really like, is Tor does a really good job with their typesetting. Doesn't sound like high praise, but I I don't know much about uh, this Imagers Battalion series. I don't start in the middle. Next one. Very interesting. You guys, uh, if you can, look this up, because I think you'll like it. A Natural History of Dragons. Have you heard of this book? A memoir by Lady Trent. It's a Marie Brennan book.
1: I've seen it in the stories. I, I didn't understand what it was, though.
0: I'm not sure what it is either, except that I love the book. Inside, it's full of illustrations. Ah, oh, uh, cool. And it's really well... Um, Again, like the, this typesetting thing I'm talking about, because there's so many chapters, there's a preface, there's uh, maps. And uh, I would say about every 20 pages, there's a, a new illustration. And there are line drawings with lots of shading, and it's all about dragons. So because it's called uh, Natural History of Dragons, a memoir, it's, it sort of reminds me of those um, uh, Charles Ardai's wife. What's his name? Uh, Niamh Linovic? You know? Yeah. hmm Dragon series she's doing. It's kind of like that beautiful, beautiful illustrations. And I'll just read the the uh, intro inside front flap for you here. All the world from Skryland to the farthest reaches of Ergeria knows Isabella, Lady Trent, to be the world's preeminent dragon naturalist. <laughs> remarkable woman who brought the study of dragons out of the misty shadows of myth and misunderstanding into clear light of modern science. But before she became the illustrious figure we know today, there was a bookish young woman whose passion for learning natural history and yes, dragons defied the stifling conventions of her day. Here at last in her own words is the true story of a pioneering spirit who risked her reputation, her prospects and her fragile, fragile flesh and bone to satisfy her scientific curiosity Of how she sought true love and happiness despite her lamentable eccentricities and of her thrilling expedition to the perilous mountains of Vistrana, where she made the first of many historic discoveries that would change the world forever. Now, what I, again, like what I like about Tor, that is a really easy summation telling you what's going on without all the, I mean, there's a couple of, you know, name places that I guess, you know, help to tell the story that this is not set on Earth right but it's totally understandable and makes you want to read it and it's it's uh it's basically a journal so so is it fiction no, it's fiction but it's done like it's a a journal of a scientific lady's um uh telling how she's studying dragons and you know it's like if if you look online you will see pictures of how she's basically like a Charles Darwin-style investigator of the natural history of fictional creature. So I is it written a,
1: like an encyclopedia, or is there actually a story
0: to a it? It's story. It's a novel. It's like a, mem- okay. a memoir, like a journal. like Yeah. It has like a lot of illustrations, and, and they um, give detail about, you know, they've got uh, hollow bones, that's how they fly, and and, you know, there's the tamed ones and the unwinged ones, and it's it's a very different sort of take on dragons than let's go, uh, I don't know.
2: It looks like the reviews I'm reading, like if you're really into the Victorian era
0: or you're hmm. really
2: into dragons, then that's the people it's kind of meant for. It's not as exciting, perhaps, as some of the dragon fantasy action adventure novels.
0: It got a starred review in Publishers Weekly, so it's not—it's not a. Um, I think it's one to look at, you know, mm-hmm. if you're into dragons at all, and it's, it's a fantasy take on dragons. It's not like a pern, right? You know, it's an alternate history sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I think.
2: Looks interesting. I want to like flip through it. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, 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 of all the stack I've got here, this is the one I flipped through the most, and I took a bunch of pictures and tweeted them a while ago. Um, because I thought they were, it's just fantastic. What a beautiful book it is. All right. Next one, uh, book two of the wild hunt, Trinity rising by Elspeth Cooper. Um, and then there's a quote on the front that says, has the potential to rival George RR R. Martin's a song of ice and fire by, uh, by library journal, they say, um, it's, you know, uh, well typeset, but uh, it's a book 2 I'm not going to start reading it. So let me redo this, uh, First paragraph here. Gare is mourning his past, but there is no time to dwell on his grief or hunger for revenge. Pursuing an artifact from the founding wars, he and Eldara travel deep into the hostile southern deserts. As, a religious, as religious tensions erupt into bloody violence around him, Gare must take, sorry, make an impossible choice, save innocent lives or sacrifice them in hope that thousands more can be saved later. Big, thick book. We're looking at like 400 pages or so. Maybe I'm wrong. No, 500 pages. 487 pages. That's the biggest one I've got. Next one. Now this, I think you guys probably know some more about. I don't think I've talked about this one before. The Fractal Prince by Hanu Rajanyam. Nemi?
2: Okay, so I got this one too because I begged for it.
0: Um ah. <laughs> They just had really? stuff that I'm probably not going to read, and they, they send you only stuff you beg for.
2: Yeah, well, I saw it, I think, on Twitter or something. They still had some extra copies, so I was like, please send me one. Um, But then I realized it was book two, so uh, I haven't actually read it yet, but I did read the first one, and I really liked it.
0: Okay, so you're going to read this one next, Yeah,
2: well, I mean, next, as in next in my life, no, but soon.
0: Okay, it's Finalist. The Quantum Thief is the first one, right?
2: Yeah, The Quantum Thief. And the guy who wrote it himself is a physicist. <laughs> oh. So it's very science y. Uh, it's
0: got a great cover.
2: Yeah, and it can be a little hard to read, but I really liked it.
0: And there's an acknowledgement second section at the end that's pretty long, you know, saying who who helped put the book together, I guess, inspired him.
1: Yeah, I Only read part of it picks. too. You, I'm surprised that I didn't finish it and Jenny did, because I think it's more like a. Tam book than a Jenny book.
0: There's a Tam. It can't be a Tam book. There's no tattooed people all over the cover.
1: No, I like, uh,
0: (laughs) I'm just joking with you. I, I just think there's a sword and a person with a tattoo. That's a Tam book.
2: Well, and so much of the premise is there are these people and they have the ability to change their appearance because they're working on quantum levels. Um, so,
0: that sounds cool. And the
2: city changes the same way. I mean, it's kind of amazing. Um, it's
0: kind of really type. It. Yeah, it's got a quote from Charles Strauss on the cover. It says, mm-hmm. stupefyingly entertaining like a heist movie for post-singularity singularity AI-boosted string theoreticians from beyond space-time.
1: Hmm.
0: Which is a very nice quote.
1: There's a lot of made-up words, though. You have to read it carefully.
0: Are they yeah, but plausibly made up? Like
1: Yeah, like like, a, like science fiction made up.
0: Okay, uh, techno babble. Yeah, maybe. Well, um, and I, no.
2: I'm wrong. He's he's a mathematician, not a quantum physicist. Mm. But he works for a think tank, um, and he's from Finland. He's very. I was really fascinated by the author as I read it. Like it made me more curious about him because it felt different than what I usually read. So, I remember he has some down. videos
1: too about uh talking about his math stuff. Yeah, he's a very handsome man too.
0: Very.
2: <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs>
2: I
1: will be reading
2: book 2.
0: <laughs> All right. I I look I I have you done a review for the first one maybe as good reads. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to check that up. Mm-hmm. Uh I, I don't think I've talked about this in the last one. It's the also the one I received the longest ago. Uh The Hermetic Millennia by John C. Wright. Nice. This is a big book. Um I'm looking at 399 pages. Um, including the uh, uh, end stuff, which is has like the, um, the cast of characters. They call it persons of the drama. Um, and it looks like space opera to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a second book in a series. So it yeah, says ca-
1: Count to a Trillion was the first one.
0: Oh, OK, that's why it's so familiar. OK, I think Julie means,
1: read a uh, part of the first one.
0: Right. OK. So, so the astonishing future that began in the Count to a Trillion continues to unfold. Menelaus Ilation El- Montrose, gunslinger idealist and posthuman genius, has gone into cryosuspension following the discovery that in eight thousand years a powerful alien intelligence will reach Earth to assess humanity's value as slaves. Montrose intends to be alive to meet that threat, but he has awakened repeatedly throughout the centuries to confront the woes of an ever changing and violent world, witnessing millennia of change compressed into a scant few years of subjective time. The result is a breathtaking vision of future history like nothing before imagined. Sounds pretty good, actually. Sweeping, tumultuous, and even more alien as Montrose's immortal enemies and former shipmates from the starship Hermetic harness the forces of evolution and social engineering to continuously reshape the Earth in their image. Seeking to create a vision of man, the approaching slavers will find worthy of domination. Interesting. It kind of reminds me of uh, Joe... Haldeman's, um, the forever war, you know, there's a sequence in that where, or a series of sequences where, uh, they go, because that uses relativ- relativistic physics, they go away from Earth for thousands of years. Every time they go, come back to Earth, it's been changed quite radically. Right. Because of time dilation. Um, so this looks like sort of that, you know, forward time travel only. Um Similar, I guess another one like that is um another Joe Haldeman one called The Accidental Time Machine, where he can only go forward into the future. His time machine is broken. He can only go forward. And he's so a whole bunch of different visions of what the Earth evolves into. Huh. And this one seems to have a uh, plot going on as well. I, uh, it actually, sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm.
1: You didn't read The Golden Age, did you? That was a famous trilogy. No. Before this.
0: Uh, did you read that?
1: No, I've heard good things about it, but I haven't. Uh,
0: uh, I w- see, I get these paper books, and I think, "Oh, that sounds good." I wonder if it's an audio audiobook.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I guess you don't read paper, right? Still, I, you know, uh,
0: I do read paper, but I don't read books. I read like short stories out of books. I read sections from books, but I don't sit down cover to cover anymore. Um, I get I get a lot of the anthology style books, and um, like. I got uh, two books called, I I guess I wasn't going to plan on talking about these, but 500 Essential Cult Books was one of them. The other one is 500 Essential Cult Movies. And they're really good books to pick up and you say, okay, I'm going to look at this. It's got lots of illustrations. It says, you know, stainless steel rat, plot, review, further reading. So what I'll do with that is I say, okay, stainless steel rat, I've read that. Um, What does that connect to? On the same page, Snow Crash, The Stars My Destination, and Stranger in a Strange Land. I've read all of those, oh, except for Snow Crash, which I'm currently sort of reading. But I, I, I That's tend Jane to get his favorite book. Snow Crash. Mm, I one of them. Stuff. One of many, mm-hmm. probably. But uh, what I tend to do is I get paper books to read about other paper books. Uh, okay. <laughs> meta reading. Those are actually quite two oh Oh, yeah. 500 Essential Cult Books by Gina McKinnon and 500 Essential Cult Movies by Jennifer Ice. So those are the two personal books that I have that were not sent to me
3: hmm.
0: that are new. Okay. Um, now, I, I do believe we have some new releases. Things that are not out yet yes. that are going to be out or things that are out that we have not received that we think are cool.
2: I have one that I'd like to focus on. Um, I read the print, but it's also been, it also has come out in audio. And that is Sister Mine by Nalo Hopkinson. Right. Um, I really liked this. Um, I've, so I don't, can't really speak to the narration. It's 11 and a half hours. I'm looking at it in audible. Um, it's a story about these conjoined twins that were cut apart, but only one of them ended up with an mojo and they come from a line of half human half demigod and um very hoodoo based religion and culture but it takes place in Canada because that's where the author lives now um she grew up But in she's
1: Caribbean like kind
0: of like she is,
2: um, she is. Yeah. so it it comes it's a the Caribbean
0: community in Toronto.
2: Yeah. Is there? Yes. Um yeah, Toronto is a very international city in general, but that's where it takes place. It takes place a lot um Lake Ontario has a big part in the novel too. Um, but I really enjoyed it. The writing is really beautiful. There's a lot of description that isn't annoying, but it kind of captures you. And the story is interesting. Um, Makita is the name of the main character and her life isn't very easy and it's kind of gritty and, uh, there's a musician that accidentally uses mojo and it affects everyone that comes to his shows. Um, there are some scenes that take place with the demigods, and then their father disappears, and he's from that demigod line, so they have to find him. And there are people that turn into kudzu plants, and I don't know; it's hard to explain, but it's a really, so you're, you're
0: really. You're reading this right currently.
2: I I finished it maybe a week or two ago. I'd gotten a okay. a galley from NetGalley, um, but I really liked it. I've been wanting to read this author for a while because she's one of the three Caribbean based science fiction or fantasy writers that are out there. Um, but this was my first of hers. I really like it. Um,
0: her. did you hear her interview? I think it was on Geek's Guide, um, about this book. I think it was Geek's Guide. Yeah, I heard it too.
2: I don't think I did, but I was going to go back and listen to it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. She talks about her research into conjoined twins. Hmm. Um, and, uh,
2: it shows she throws it in there a little bit in the novel. Yeah. So,
0: and it sounds yeah, it sounded like an interesting book. Yeah. And she's, um, She's um, she's been around a lot for like she's not a new writer but I think this is her most recent book of sort of a gap she was sick Hmm. so uh, I think she wasn't writing a lot uh, while she was sick.
2: Yeah, and it's hard to track down the other books like they're
0: not at least in my
2: area they're not in a lot of libraries and
0: the Brown Girl in the Ring I think is her most famous one Hmm. which she's got four novels on Audible and I think that's the On this most famous, I think that was, um, I think that was recorded books. So she's not, um, she's not as well known outside of Canada, I think, as she should be.
2: Absolutely. I think the one I have at home that I haven't read yet is Midnight Robber.
0: Right. That's, uh, from 2012. Release And yeah, the brown girl in the ring is 2006. So there's been a gap. There's 2008 new new moon's arms. And then this new one that's not uh, just, that's just come out like this month is sister mine. Robin miles is the narrator.
2: Mm -hmm. And she seems to have a pretty British accent, which is an interesting choice, but I've Hmm. only heard the preview. I haven't really heard how it plays out. So a lot of, there's a lot of slang in the book. So I'll be interested to hear, what she does with that.
0: Yeah, and I, I think in an interview she was saying something like uh, they asked her what the difference between mojo and voodoo was. and <laughs> It was like, well, it's complicated. Too complicated to go, to go into But <laughs> they're, they're synonyms, essentially. You have to have
1: mojo to understand.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Voodoo and hoodoo
0: or voodoo and mojo? I'm not sure. Okay. I haven't I've read the book. I've only heard the... Yeah. <laughs> I don't know.
1: So is this similar to like Karen Lord's first book? Was that like a lot of mythical Caribbean stuff?
2: No, that's really just a retelling of a folk tale.
0: Huh. It's,
2: it's nothing like this. This is much more contemporary feeling despite all the demigods that are running around.
0: Yeah. I I think she, like I haven't read a lot of her stuff. I've read some of her short stories, I think. Hmm. Um, but she, I would think of her, like if you wanted to say what she's like, she's kind of like uh a uh, mix of Neil Gaiman and, and Robert J Sawyer. So sh- she sort of does her research um and puts that into her book and and let the plot develop itself, but it's not science fiction, it's usually uh fantastic if not fantasy. Does that make sense? Or yeah. fantasy? Oh, uh well, uh yeah, it's sort of it's I think it's
2: more like right? Cat Valente type fantasy where it's just part of their lives and who they are. Hmm. But it's more about the people than the.
0: Yeah, it's character based.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it, and there's a lot of similarities to some of the Caribbean literature that I read last year, um, like the white woman on the green bicycle or I'm trying to think of one of the other books I read. I mean, that that kind of culture stuff comes through very strongly the food mm-hmm. they eat, how they speak to each other, how the families are made up—I mean, it's just very much like that.
0: Relationships.
2: Yeah. Sisters, conjoined twins—you know—it's mm-hmm. got to be what some is? fighting there.
1: <laughs>
0: you no, said a lot of on- sensory
1: description or something.
2: Yeah. Let me find my. You're going to hear my keyboard. Sorry, I was going to find my review of it because I have a have a paragraph in there that I copied. An
1: arpeggio of something of like,
2: Yeah, you remember that? It's, yeah. It was just one example. Uh, 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 uh. Sorry, bear with
1: me.
0: Right. Cam, you picked up uh, *Inherit the Stars*. That right. you were telling Scott that that's Yeah, I remember Scott was saying,
1: "Hey, where's *Inherit the Stars*?" Last time. Yeah, well,
0: out. we were seeing James Hogan stuff, James P. Hogan stuff before. Um, this is this is, I think, one of his important books because of it was like you see that cover and you say, "I want to read that." What's going on? And the original cover has a couple of astronauts on on the moon or something, and they discover another astronaut's corpse uh, lying there on the moon. It's like, hey, how do he get there? And and that, that's the kind of cover where you look at it and you say, i got to read that and find out what, what's going on. Right? <laughs> they seem surprised to see this dead astronaut on the moon, and he's been dead. He's a skull. So how did he get there? And here's the description. Uh, The man on the moon was dead. They called him Charlie. He had big eyes, abundant body hair, and fairly long nostrils. Mm. Uh oh His skeletal body was found clad in a bright red spacesuit. Hidden in a rocky grave, they didn't know who he was, how he got there, or what had killed him. All they knew was that his corpse was 50,000 years old. And that meant this man had somehow lived long before he could ever have existed. It's a 1977 uh, novel, just newly released from Blackstone. Scott says is very good. Yeah, it sounds really good, and and uh, I'm thinking I'm gonna use one of my down downpour credits to get it. Speaking of which, cool. uh, Jenny, oh, let's Jenny. Did you find? Oh, you found it here.
2: I did. Um, this just it's a description of her talking about her sister. I perceived Abby as a shimmering arpeggio, lavender shot through with juniper green and scented with a bouquet of seawater and new shoe leather. Now this is during the time that they're crossing over into where they can communicate with the demigods. But she can't get there on her own. She has to go with her sister since she has no mojo. <laughs> so it's like right during and after the crossing. So
0: It's very um, sensory.
2: Yeah, and I think that's why that I thought it's Pat Valente a little bit.
1: Mm. Hallucinogenic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I should play some Jimi Hendrix while I read it. <laughs>
0: Uh, so I was gonna tell you, um, I was talking with Scott yesterday. He hadn't noticed it in his email, but, uh, he's a subscriber to Downpour now as well. And, uh, I posted recently about Downpours. I did a re- sort of a review of their service. It's basically, it's like Audible, except it, you, you subscribe to it, you get a credit a month, um, and it costs the same, but the only difference is it's DRM free. So when I've got a really good book and I enjoyed it, I can, Give a copy of it to my mom, and she can say, Well, I wasn't really going to download this because I'm not a subscriber, but she can listen to a copy that I have. Just like I've got a paper book here. I say, Oh, you know what? I read this book. I really like it. Here, have a copy. I can't give her my iPod, but I can certainly give her my, my, uh, my book, right? It's the same idea. So it works like Audible, but it's DRM free, and it makes things a lot easier. And it has a pretty good selection. It's not as good as Audible's yet. But mm-hmm. just yesterday I discovered they've reduced their, their cost. It used to be fourteen ninety nine a month, which is, I think, the exact same as Audible. Now it's $12.99, so it's actually cheaper than Audible. Cool. And I'm going to use my credit to get and inherit the stars.
1: And you can put it on any device you want, and you don't have to worry about things expiring or
0: losing your exact- computer. Exactly right. It's you get a copy and you can get M4B or you can get MP3 and go on anything. And there's they do all the apps, you know, like you can have it through your uh, Downpour app, just like you can get it through your Audible app. So
1: does it have like the chapters?
0: It's it's perfect, yeah. It's chapterized. It's got art built in. Works great. Okay. Uh, I don't think that's the end of our new releases. I have. A couple of more ones, I think.
2: I didn't have anything else. How about you, Tim?
1: Aha, there's the one. I, mean, I was going to mention Red, Mars, Blue's... I think I did already, Robert mm-hmm. Schler's new book. That, that's, yeah, like, that's... that's like Mars and War.
0: Yeah, it's based on a novella he wrote called Identity Theft.
1: Right.
0: And I wanted to mention a couple of cool things that have happened on LibriVox. We haven't talked about LibriVox in a while, but the cool thing about LibriVox people is that everything's free and they're public domain. That means you can do anything you want with the files, not just give it to your mom. You can change it for your mom. (laughs) You can say, you are now the, you know, you can do anything with it, including we put the files in the uh, podcast feed or anything like that. So one of the things that happened recently is Gutenberg finally got, uh, 10 of Robert J. Sawyer's, um, Conan. Uh, not Robert G. Sorry, Robert E. Howard's Conan books finally are now showing up as American public domain. They had been before, but due to um, worries about how to prove that uh, they weren't showing up on Gutenberg, and once it goes on Gutenberg, that means anybody on Librivox can do it. If it shows up on usgutenberg.org, then it can be done as an audiobook on Librivox, and Librivox has responded with two uh, releases. Of Robert E. Howard books. One was, uh, just, I think, two days ago. Um, and it was not a great book called, uh, The Devil and Iron. It's a, uh, short story. It's not great, uh, Howard story. It's still good, but it's not great. And the other one is Hour of the Dragon, which is the only Conan novel. And that was just released, I think, yesterday. Um, and Mark Nelson's the narrator, and he is a good narrator eight hours, 21 minutes. Crom. Cool. By crumb, it's, it's a good news. Hmm. It's a good news story. I could tell uh, Bill Holloway about it. Oh, I, I've had correspondence with him about it. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That's catalog today, March 23rd. So we are on top of it. <laughs> top of things. And there's an M4B available.
1: Now, now I want to see Robert J. Sawyer or Conan story.
0: <laughs> it would be very different.
1: Conan in Space.
0: This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com